Today's reading is from Luke chapter 20, and we're reading verses 9 to 19, the parable of the tenants. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Anna. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we read about you teaching in the temples and the crowds being drawn to hear you. We want to hear you speak to us tonight. So come by your Holy Spirit and speak to us through the words you spoke all those years ago. Come and take my words and speak through them that we would hear you speaking to each one of us. And give us grace to trust you more. And we ask it in your great name. Amen. Uh, for the benefit of those who are visitors among us or uh, just, just dipping in to see what's going on here, we are journeying the whole way through Luke's Gospel. We started a bit over a year ago. Before Christmas, we got as far as Luke 19 and we picked it up again uh, with the new year. We will get to Easter at Easter. But it means that for this term, it's like a long holy week. Normally, we have one or two weeks where we're running up to the cross. We've got the whole term where we are heading clearly for, for Easter. Two weeks ago, we had the triumphal entry on the donkey. We normally get that on Palm Sunday. We'll have it on Palm Sunday in the morning. But uh, we had it on January the 7th. Unusual, having things at different times of year. Last week, we saw Jesus going to the temple, throwing out the traders, calling for his house to be a house of prayer. Uh, and we left him teaching in the temple. So chapter 19, uh, verses 47 and 48. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among people were trying to kill him. Yeah, they couldn't find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. Uh, this morning... Uh, we had the next parables. So we're, doing, we're doing this morning and evening, and we're encouraging people to read through Luke with us. 
if you're new among us, uh, you're welcome to pick up one of the Luke's Gospel journals so you can doodle your own thoughts in as you listen. Uh, we had the, this morning where people try and tra trap, they want to know what Jesus' authority is. And he asked them a question about John the Baptist's authority. And Graham Pringle preached a brilliant sermon on that. I commend it to you, even if you don't normally listen to morning sermons. That was a good one. Uh, and this conflict is growing. Tonight we've got this parable that Jesus speaks back to them. And the leaders don't like it. Next week in the morning, we'll have them trying to trap him with the question of should we pay taxes to Caesar. And next week in the evening, we'll find them trying to trap him with a question on marriage and the resurrection. Uh, and it's just this conflict is building slowly and steadily. Jesus has been doing his ministry for three years. It's all coming to a head. And we have this story of the workers in the vineyard. Now, the first point to make about this is about God's care for his people, the people of Israel in ancient days, who they knew it was like someone caring for a vineyard. So I want to read to you, well, first of all, let's just have verse 9 of our story. Jesus goes on to tell us this parable. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers and went away a long time. The people of Israel would know this story. It's in Isaiah. It's in Isaiah chapter 5. It's about God who takes care over a vineyard. The people at St. Paul's in January 2024 may not know this story so well, so I'm going to read it to you. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Isaiah says, I will sing. I'm not going to sing this for you. I'll just say it. It should be more of a blessing. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones. If you've ever been to Israel, you know what a big job that is. He planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. So he took a lot of care. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now, you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I've done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I'll tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I'll take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I'll break down its wall and it will be trampled. I'll make it a wasteland neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I'll command the clouds not to rain on it. And Isaiah says, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. He looked for justice, but he saw bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but he heard cries of distress. This would have been well known, and all the leaders and the teachers of the law would have really known this. So when Jesus says there was a man who had a vineyard, they know he's talking about God and the people of Israel. Uh, the last verse, verse 19 of our story tonight, the teacher of the law, the chief priest, looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they, they knew he'd spoken this parable against him, for they were afraid of the people. So the point of that vineyard story is that God has loved the nation of Israel for hundreds of years. He has cared patiently for the people of Israel. He took Abraham and built a great people through him. He rescued his people from Egypt under Moses with the Exodus. He sent the prophets, Samuel, 
He gave them a king, the David the Great King, David's son Solomon. There was a civil war after that, but he still sent prophets to speak to both North and South Kingdoms his word, Elijah and Elisha, Amos and Hosea. He kept calling them back to him. The North didn't pay very much attention and God allowed the Assyrian nation to overrun them, so you were left just with Judah and the Southern Kingdom. And God still spoke to them, Isaiah and Jeremiah and others, calling them back to him. But eventually, uh, well, we'll come on to the, the eventually in a minute. First, there's God's care is the first point. And Jesus brings himself into the story. Uh, let me, let's, so with all of that background to the vineyard, let's listen again to what Jesus taught about the care. So chapter 20 from verse 9 again, we'll read it again. Jesus went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard, he rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. That's kind of the story of God sending his prophets to the people of Israel and then rejecting again and again. Then the owner of the vineyard, representing God, says, What shall I do? I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir. They said, Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He'll come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid, God forbid that he should give Israel his vineyard to others. But Jesus has put himself in the story. God has sent all the prophets, and now in his own person, he has come to reveal the love of God, to call his people back to him. Uh, the most famous verse of the Bible, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So the first point is about God's love for his people. He's cared for them. He's again and again and again sent to them, and right up to the person of Jesus. The second point from this story, though, is that God's patience runs out. Um, I have a very, very patient wife, and she's had to put up with me a long time. In the early days of knowing Juliet, I, ne I never saw her lose her cool and her, her patience. And then I heard someone say, patience is only a virtue if it runs out. I and mean, if, someone, if someone's patience never runs out, it's kind of like they don't care, whatever you do is fine. And I thought, well, I wonder if my wife's patience will run out. Well, then after we've been married for a while, and then when we had kids, it runs out. She's human, it's normal. The patience is extraordinary, but it does run out. And God's patience runs out. After Isaiah and Jeremiah had warned God's people, if you don't turn back to him, the Lord will send you into exile. They ignored him. Eleanor last week talked about the temple. Jeremiah saying that in Jeremiah 7, if you're here last week, the people think, we'll be fine, we've got the temple, God's in the temple, it'll all be fine. They were taking God for granted and ignoring his ways. 
and eventually God allowed the Babylonians to come and over on Jerusalem about 600 BC and they went into exile in Babylon. God's patience ran out. But God lovingly restored his people. They came back to Israel. The temple was rebuilt uh, under Ezra and the walls under Nehemiah under Haggai the prophet and Zechariah and Malachi and others, God kept on calling them and pointing them to a time when his righteous king would come. Jesus is saying in this parable that if they reject the son, God's patience will run out with the rulers of Israel. Uh, let's just read those verses again, 14 to 18. When the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said, let's kill him. The inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He'll come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. God is not going to take it lightly if his son is rejected and killed. And so it proved for the nation of Israel. The Romans overran it and destroyed it in AD 70. And we live in a new era post-Pentecost where God's people are not just the people of Israel, but everyone that bows the knee to Jesus. All around the world, the church is growing rapidly in other parts of the world. Less rapidly here in the UK. But all around the world, God is drawing people to himself. And God is still patient, but there will still come a day when his patience runs out to bring this right up to date now. Jesus will come again. And until that day comes, everybody has an opportunity to come to faith in Jesus. Our vision as a church over the next 10 years, if the Lord hasn't come back before then, is to give everybody in this area working together with other Christians, an opportunity to respond to the good news of Jesus, a meaningful opportunity. So we're working and praying with other churches, thinking, how, Lord, do you want us to do this? But there will come a day when God's patience finally is ended. And Peter spoke about that at the end of his life. So I want to read to you. We've had Isaiah, which is a sort of a background to the vineyard. I want to read to you from 2 Peter chapter 3, which is kind of a comment looking at this about when God's patience runs out from the other end of the New Testament. Peter writes this. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They'll say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. As far as the Lord's concerned, it's only a couple of days since the resurrection. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, when you're not expecting it. 
The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. And so on. 2 Peter chapter 3. God is patient, but there will come a day when that patience runs out, much like the story of the vineyard. Jesus will return. There will be a final judgment. He will make everything new. But it's not happened yet because God wants more to come to repentance. So those two themes run right through God's love and his care, but his patience, but the day will run out. So what does that mean for you and for me? Well, Jesus always forces people towards a decision about him. We got it at the end of our story again, verse 19. The teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately. They knew he'd spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people who were listening to his words and wanted more. Jesus has deliberately sort of raised the stakes and coming, bringing to a sort of a crisis moment. And you get this throughout the Gospels. He divides people into two. There's the power of the wheat and the tares. There's the sheep and the goats. There's the wise and the foolish. Uh, a couple of times in Luke's Gospel, we've seen Jesus says, you're either for him or against him. Just to remind you of those, Luke chapter 9, verse 50. Jesus says it one way, whoever's not against you is for you. That's talking to his followers. A little later on, chapter 11, verse 23, he puts it the other way. Whoever's not with me is against me. Now, either way, folks are divided into two categories. But there are some folks who are growing up within the church, worshipping, may not have come to a personal decision about Jesus. If they're not against him, they're probably for him. There are others who've turned their back on God, and if they're not for him, they're probably against him. But God knows either way there is a reckoning. And I think in each individual's lives, the point at which God does that is slightly different. But there is a for him and there is an against him. And our eternal destiny depends on what we make of Jesus. And in this life, we have the opportunity to choose to bow our knee to him as Lord. And then day by day to get better at what that means. And we have right until the day we die to make that choice. Uh, a choice that will echo for all eternity. But each day, in a sense, is another choice to live with Jesus as Lord. Uh, in Luke's Gospel again, going Luke 9, 23, 24, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. Other Gospels miss out that word daily. And you can get the sense, some people think, well, I've decided to follow Jesus. And then they kind of don't worry too much about it. But this is a daily choice to live with Jesus as Lord and follow him. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Three groups of people here tonight. There are some who are right at the beginning of exploring all this. Uh, you're only beginning to hear about Jesus. You can't possibly make a decision tonight. Please, may I invite you on the Alpha course? Uh, great way to get to know Jesus, to find out all about it, to ask all your questions. If you can't make Tuesday evenings, then other ways are available. We'd love to help you to do that. Uh, there's Christians who've been Christians a long time. Can I invite you afresh at the start of a new year to bow your knee to Jesus as Lord for this year? 
not just to rely on what's happened before. It's easy for us to drift back, being pulled two ways. Uh, and there'll be some people here who will have been thinking about this, weighing it up. There may even be someone here tonight who's at that kind of crisis point. Am I going to live with Jesus as Lord or not? Let me tell you about two people uh, I've heard about this week. One who is uh, the father of a friend of mine who was uh, an elderly man who had avoided making the decision about Jesus. And it came to, we'd been praying for him, friends and family, uh, lives in another part of the country. He was in hospital with his dying days. And a friend of mine visited him and read a bit of the scriptures to him and said, are you ready to pray? And prayed with him. And he looked up and said, amen. He said, right at the end. Praise the Lord. Uh, another one was a young man, again, not someone who comes to this church, uh, who's been living with a tension for five or six years as to whether he will really live with Jesus as Lord. And this week it all came to a head. And he made the choice to uh, choose to live with Jesus as Lord and go off and start, join a Christian community and a whole discipleship program. But it could have gone either way, but he made that choice. Brilliant. What about you? Where are you? Uh, I want to give tonight an opportunity to, to anybody here who knows tonight's their time. Uh, if you've been a Christian for many years, great. Bow the knee to Jesus as Lord again. If you're weighing it all this up and it's new, great. Just choose. I want to find out more. But there may be someone here, and you'll know it's you. Your heart's probably pounding a bit, if that's you. Thinking, well, tonight might be the night to bow the knee to Jesus as Lord. Uh, a long time ago, when I was a student, I remember reading a book called A Severe Mercy by a guy called Sheldon Van Orken. Talked about a particular crisis in his life that forced his decision. And he described it as a bit like there's a river. On one side, there's people not interested in God. On the other side, there's people living with Jesus as Lord. And he felt he was like on an island in the middle of the river. Couldn't quite choose which way he was going to go. Uh, drawn to Jesus, but not sure. Slightly pulled the other way, but not quite sure. And then in his mind, the bit of land he was standing on was crumbling, and he had to choose to jump one way or the other. And he chose to jump Jesus' way and never regretted it. If you've been listening to me preaching for any length of time, you'll know that was my story as a teenager. Pulled two ways. And it is miserable. Uh, if you want to be miserable, be a half-hearted Christian. It is almost guaranteed misery. Uh, but follow Jesus as Lord is the way to joy. It's not easy. But that's the challenge. And that's the crisis that Jesus is forcing as he heads to the cross. I wonder if we can be still for a minute and I'll lead in prayer. First of all, for those of you for whom this is all very new, can I invite you to pray, Lord, if this is true, as these people all around me seem to believe, will you open my eyes to see the truth? Will you help me to know? Will you reveal your love to me? Help me as I explore this more. For those of you who've been Christians for many years, or maybe just a little while, 
can I invite you afresh to bow your knee to Jesus as Lord? Perhaps say, Lord, I'm sorry for drifting away, for trying to follow you and someone else, for being torn two ways. Give me grace to bow my knee afresh to you as Lord tonight. And then if there is someone here tonight in the middle, this prayer is for you to echo. Lord God, thank you for making me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for helping me learn about you up to this point. I know it's true. So tonight, I bow my knee to you as my Lord. Please forgive me my sins. Thank you that you died on the cross for me. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit and help me to live your way. And give me grace to make that choice every day as a member of your family to keep choosing to live your way. And if that is you, God adopts you into his family. Please know his love for you. He'll never let you go. And please do tell someone, a Christian friend or perhaps me afterwards, suggest you tell someone who you think will be pleased first. Lord, we pray for all of us as your church here at St. Paul's that you will give us grace this, our 150th year, to live with you as our Lord and bring more and more people to bow their knee to you as Lord, to be part of your great family. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Andy, I think we're going to sing again. Is that what, let's have the band back. I normally get people standing, and it gives the band time to, uh, uh, to get ready. But as we approach communion, would you stand? We're going to sing a wonderful song that points us to Jesus.